Good morning. I trust that you had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, maybe a little different this year than others years in the past, but nonetheless, hope your bellies are full and you've come with full gratitude of all the Lord has done for us. This morning, we are continuing our sermon series through the book of Hebrews. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, so, 7 is really dedicated to um, really parsing out the priesthood of Melchizedek. So last week we heard a lot about who Melchizedek is, and today we're, we're he's the writer's going to make a comparison uh, to the Levitical priesthood, and then next week he's actually going to go deeper into the benefits of that. And so we've kind of got this one big section broken into three parts, and so there's some benefits of that. We get to dive a little deeper into each one, um, but the downside is is. You know, there's a fuller, more fuller explanation of who Melchizedek last week, and you get a fuller sense of the benefits that he parses out. So we're right in the middle where we're going to make this comparison. Um, and so I'm going to try to make sense of this today, uh, but it's a great passage speaking of the priesthood of Jesus. And so we'll begin in verse 11, and I'll read all the way to verse 19. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest, priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, this morning uh, that you will teach us, that we will hear your word this morning. And you apply it to our hearts, Lord, that we might understand what benefit we have from you, Jesus, as our great high priest, the access that you have won for us to draw near to God. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. So Thanksgiving's over, and like immediately we turn our attention to Christmas. And it feels like this year, Maybe it's just me. I feel like this year there's such anticipation for Christmas. It's been a rough year, uh, to say the least. And I think people are just ready for Christmas. It feels like the decorations went up early, commercials changed gears really fast, and this morning driving in, it just felt like boom, explosion. Lights are going up, trees are being bought, cards are coming in already, uh, and so people are. I think they're anticipating and they're getting ready for Christmas. Today is the first day of Advent, and we look forward to the coming of Jesus. And so this morning, as we think about his priesthood, we want to make this uh, comparison, this understanding of what it means 
that Jesus has come and that he has become our high priest. And what that means for us today is, speaking of Christmas, we, uh, you know, like most families, we get some cards in. And over the years, we have had uh, a few notable cards. One particularly to this day still sticks out in my mind. It was from a good friend of ours that lives in Florence, South Carolina. She's a painter. And she took the time to paint individual Christmas cards. And on the front, it was just Christmas ornaments. Very simple, beautiful painting. And it just said at the top, God and sinners reconciled. So I opened it up and it said, love the Murphys. As simple as it could be, but man, that stuck out because that phrase, I never looked at that phrase just by itself. God and sinners reconciled. What hope do we have that this could ever be true? I mean, we celebrate that, right? I mean, we sing that song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We, we, we sing it and, and it goes by unnoticed, but the reality is, apart from Christ, there's not a whole lot of hope that that could ever be true. And what I want to submit to you this morning is that because of Christ's priesthood, we have that hope that we can be reconciled to God. And to put it another way, because of Christ's work as our high priest, we can draw near to God. In him, we have a better hope. The question I want to ask this morning is how is Christ's priesthood a better hope? And our text is going to give us two answers. And so I'm going to boil it down to kind of two point, main points that he's trying to, to give us. One is we have this hope in Christ's priesthood because his priesthood is eternal. And the second is it's effectual. And so we're going to look at his eternal priesthood first. Verse 11 begins, it says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise? So he's saying, you know, if perfection had been attainable, why would we need another priesthood? Notice at no point in chapter 7 does he make an argument that he's not arguing that Christ is a priest. He's just stating that matter of fact. Right, he's saying Christ is a priest. And if the previous priesthood could attain perfection, right? In other words, if it could attain access to God, why would we need another priesthood? He's not arguing if, whether a new, another priesthood existed. It's a fact. In fact, how else would you explain Melchizedek? Right, we look at this character Melchizedek. How went into it in detail last week, like I've already said. But he was a, a priest of God most high. He blessed Abraham and Abraham gave tithes to him. He was the king of Salem, but he was also a priest. He was a priest king, something very different. And yet was not from the line of the Levites. The Old Testament anticipates that the Messiah would come from the priesthood of Melchizedek. That quote there, Psalm 110, says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He quotes it there in verse 17. So without getting too far into the weeds, the big takeaway of, of the words of King David in Psalm 110 is this, that God was going to do something new in the priestly world. His intention was to bring someone onto the stage who would be a king priest like Melchizedek and whose priesthood would endure forever. It would be eternal and what Hebrews is doing is it's pointing out that this priest king is indeed Jesus. 
the writer of Hebrews is making a comparison between the Levitical priesthood from the order of Aaron and Christ's priesthood from the order of Melchizedek. And simply put, the writer is saying that Christ's priesthood is eternal and the Levitical priesthood was temporary. It was actually by design. By law, the priests in the old covenant had to be from the tribe of Levi. Or as verse 16 puts it, it says, the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. If you were to be, if you were not a Levite, you could not be a priest, according to the Levitical law. Not all Levites were priests, but every priest was a Levite. And so any given priest could trace his lineage all the way back to Levi. This was a big deal. It was important that the lineage be there, right? In other words, as one priest died, the, the, they were replaced by the next generation. And so it would, a priest would arise, they would die, a new priest would be appointed and generation to generation to generation, this would continue on. So the immediate question against Jesus would be, what tribe did Jesus come from? And our writer in verse 13 anticipates this. He says, for the one of whom these things are spoken, that being Jesus, belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. In other words, the Levites came from Levi. Jesus came from Judah. But Moses never said a priest could come from Judah. Judah was the royal tribe of Israel, right? The kingly tribe, the line of David, uh, not the line of priests. Does that rule Jesus out automatically? And so some would argue, yes automatically, but not at all because something new has happened in the priestly world, a new priesthood to replace the old one. Therefore, a new law. In verse 12, that's why it says, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. So it's important to note, this is not changing God's moral law, the 10 commandments, but speaking of the sacrificial system, right? In which we gain access to God. So when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. So the new priesthood has been appointed for a new covenant. So there would be therefore naturally and necessarily bring a new law surrounding this priesthood, which we find out is the law of faith, faith in Jesus. As verse 11 has already stated, why would there be a need for another priesthood? In other words, the old one was inadequate. Right, the new one meets every one of those deficiencies. It was, the old one was temporary by design. A placeholder, if you will, until the Messiah came. It was tempting to, to say the old one is bad, the new one's good. The old one served a purpose. Right, the old one, you know, the, it, it served a purpose in that it prepared the way for this new priesthood. It's this placeholder. It was temporary on an individual basis. Right, the Achilles heel of the Levitical priesthood was that the high priest would die and have to be replaced over and over and over again. And so it was a, a temporary system as well. Right, it was a temporary provision that the Lord put in place until the permanent solution would arise in Jesus. And we're gonna to get to that in a second. But think if you are, if you are the original readers, Right, and, and you are tempted to go back. You know, he's laying before them the reality 
that a permanent solution has come. He says, instead of a long line of imperfect priests, you could have the one permanent, eternal high priest. Instead of a yearly day of atonement, what if, what if it could happen once and for all? Instead of the blood of bulls and goats and birds, there could be one final sacrifice through the shed blood of the priest himself. What if instead of a new high priest each year who was just a man, imperfect and sinful, what if instead of an imperfect temporary priest, there could be an eternal priest, perfect in all of his actions that remains the high priest forever? The reader of Hebrews, was, they were being tempted to grab hold of this old priesthood, right? To go back, to leave the new eternal solution and go back to the temporary provision, to walk away from Christ. That was their temptation, right? Because to go with, with what they knew and could see and to touch and to literally feel and to walk away from Christ. You know, it's been a big week at our house not just Thanksgiving, but Wyatt passed his learner's permits. We've got a, a new driver in the family. Uh, he studied hard, made, made, passed the test, and has his learner's permit. So think about what a learner's permit is in comparison to an actual driver's license. Right, a learner's permit has limitations. It's temporary by design. There's a season for this new driver, right, to be taught and to be trained and to prepare for the real thing. I remember when I got my real driver's license, full-fledged access, I picked my buddies up and we literally just drove around all day. Nowhere to go, we just drove circles around the city because we could finally do it. We could just drive. And like to the very last minute, I had to be home and I dropped the, and I made it home, squeezed out every bit of driving I could possibly get out of that driver's license. But who in their right mind would wanna go back to a learner's permit? Right? Once you've had full access, why would you go back to the limits of a learner's permit? See, the writer of Hebrews is saying this permanent solution has been put into place. And that's why it's a better hope. Because it is an eternal hope. His priesthood, Christ's priesthood, is not based on bodily descent. Right? On, on what line he's come or who his, you know, the, 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 the family line of priest, but it says based on an indestructible life. His priesthood is based on an indestructible life. When Christ came to earth, he faced death for sure, but he came back to life through the resurrection. And where is he now? He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. It is at his heavenly exaltation, right? His priestly role as the exalted king, priest, is where Jesus exercises his role as the perpetual priest. It's in his exaltation. He died, was buried, rose again, ascended into heaven, and now sits as our active high priest, even today, always interceding on our behalf, always maintaining our direct and lasting access to the Father. That would give great hope to these original readers who were tempted to go back to a system that, that couldn't quite accomplish access, right? It, it was constantly starting over with a new priest, but they're here, this lasting and direct access to the Father. When you think of Christ's office as priest, 
What do you think of it? What do you think of when you think? Do you think of his past work as the sacrifice on the cross? Because that's true and present. Do you think of his present and active work right now, today, as we sit here, he is your high priest currently interceding for you? But there's also this future aspect, right, where he ushers us into the actual physical presence of our Lord one day in heaven. So there is this past, there is a present, and there is a future. Or in, you know, the Westminster Confession, what we just said in our Confession of Faith, question 25 says, Christ fills the office of a priest in his once offering up of himself to God as a sacrifice, right? That was the past. He did that. But there is a present tense work as well, the part that I think we tend to forget. His making constant intercession for us. In other words, eternal intercession for us. Right now, today, this week, for all eternity, he will intercede on our behalf as our priest. This brings up the future aspect, of course, right? I mean, one day we will be in the physical presence of God in heaven one day. But I'm curious to, to know which of these aspects you tend to forget. Which of these do we kind of neglect? The past work, the present work, or, or the future work? I know for myself, I tend to think, I neglect the present work. I walk throughout the day and just forget that it is Christ Jesus who is my high priest today interceding on my behalf. And I, the more I've thought about that this week, I think I've, I've neglect the current work because I've taken for granted his past work on the cross. His once offering up of himself to God as a sacrifice. See, if we're gonna see Christ's priesthood as a better hope for today, we need to understand that Christ's priesthood is not just eternal, but it's effectual. It does something. It has done something, is doing something, and will do something uh, for us. And so let's look at point two. Christ's priesthood is effectual. Christ's priesthood, it was effective in opening the door for us to draw near to God. It, it makes and gains access for, it, for us. Let's look again at verse 18. It says, For on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness, and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Through which we draw near to God. That, that line caught me the same way my friend's Christmas card caught me. We, through which we draw near to God. God and sinners reconcile. They're speaking of the same thing. And those aren't possible without a mediator. One who is able to bridge the gap between the creator of the universe and a sinful people. There are, when we're speaking of God, where there, there's two theological terms out there. They're, they're not specific terms used in scripture, but theologically we can put them together from what we know of God and they speak of, his, of our relationship to him. All right, one of those is God's, God's transcendence. And the other is his eminence. When we speak of God's transcendence, we are speaking that he is, he is wholly other. John Frame says he is exalted above and far beyond us. Right? He is transcendent. But when we speak of his eminence, it speaks to his, his presence with his people. And it's summed up in the name Emmanuel. God with us. Right? You see the problem with those two? 
try to try to fit those together, his eminence or his transcendence and his eminence, his far away otherness and his close personal presence. How do you reconcile those two? You just can't. You can't do that apart from a mediator, apart from Jesus himself. That's why I picked Exodus 20 uh, as an illustration of God's transcendence and holy other. It says, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. See, I I think they got the picture, right? They understood the God they were dealing with. Their God, who had called a people to himself. And when they were called before him, they said, we can't do this. We'll die. If he even speaks to us, we'll die. Let alone if we happen to, to look upon him or, or get near to the mountain. I mean, there's, there's a line. Don't cross this line or you will die. In other words, you can't be in the presence of a holy God. You know, to approach him flippantly would be wrong, right? And to approach him with sin would be impossible. But through the law of Moses, God laid out guidelines for a temporary priesthood as a provision for this significant gap. It had its limitations. It was inadequate. But that's, again, it's not to say that it was bad. It served a purpose. It acted as a shadow of what was to come. It ultimately pointed us to Christ. And so it would be bad to put our trust in it for a means of perfection, because it it couldn't attain it, right? It couldn't do it. And as a system, it was ineffective at attaining perfection for God's people, but I think it's very effective in showing us our need for a true intercessor. And I think that was the point. It was showing us the significant separation between God and sinful man. It would show us our need for a priest, a one true high priest, an eternal priest, a perfect priest, one that would effectively atone for our sins. And so the old covenant priesthood could not attain perfection. It's described in verse 18 as weak and useless. (laughs) That is to say it was useless in regard to obtaining salvation for God's people. Right? It was weak because it depended on sinful and fragile men who had to continually offer sacrifices, not only for their own sin, Uh, but for the sin of the people as well. But under Christ's priesthood, our sins have been paid for once and for all. They've been paid for by his own blood. Rather than obedience to the law as a means of salvation, the new covenant command is put your faith in Christ Jesus. And it is by grace that we are saved through our high priest, Jesus. It is through Jesus that we are brought into the presence of the Father and it is through Jesus that God and sinners are reconciled. Paul makes this similar point in Galatians 3. He says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, 
We are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. See, a couple years ago, there was a woman who heard that the Chicago Public Library was going to have a three-week amnesty program. This was good news for her because she had a 78-year-old overdue library book, 78 years old. It was a rare limited copy of Oscar Wilde's classic, The Picture of Dorian Gray. And she had put off returning the book due to the hefty fines. They said it would be about $6,000, possible jail time. And so she stayed away. And this amnesty program came about and she quickly brought it in and laid on the book and they had won their book back, but also their customer back (laughs) because now she would come back to the library again. You see, it was law that had kept her away but was brought near by grace. See, this morning, if you're here and you've not placed your trust in Jesus, that gap still exists for you. You are not reconciled to God. You cannot draw near to God. You need a mediator. You need someone to intercede on your behalf. That someone is Jesus. But if you're here this morning and you were in Christ, you have a better and a more sure hope But the great high priest who intercedes for you never sleeps or grows weary of his job. He never prays without full effect. He understands our continued struggle with the world, with flesh, and with the devil. And it's through him that we have gained unprecedented access to God. Do you realize that? I mean, something that the Old Testament believers did not have, unprecedented access to God. So rest in his saving grace and not in your own works. It's through Christ a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. God and sinners reconciled to the priesthood of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our high priest, as you continue your work, even today on our behalf, we wanna thank you. As you intercede for us, I pray that you would give us more grace to rest in those promises. I pray that you would give us joy, that we might draw near to you And that through the presence of God, our Father, we would be strengthened for the week ahead. Help us to walk in confidence, knowing that our sins are forgiven, that you you love us unconditionally. And it's through our high priest, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.